Today we are in Esther chapter 1, continuing our study that we began last week in the book of Esther, and uh, today we're going to look at verses 9 through 22, finish out the chapter in a study that I've entitled A Tale of Two Kings. Um, I want to begin reading today, though, in verse 1, just so we kind of get the overall context of what's happening here. So follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. We talked about this last week, an incredible landmass that he ruled over there in the Middle East. Verse 2, in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants and the powers of Persia and Medea, and the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him. And when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, how many days? 180 days in all. Let's pause there and let's um, pray. Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I pray today that as we consider the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ, you have placed us in this world, but we are in this world, but to, not to be of this world, that we belong to another kingdom. And I pray today that you would give us insight into how to navigate that reality. And so we give you Uh, our hearts today. We give you this time in the word today. We ask that you by your Holy Spirit would speak to us in Jesus name. Amen. So we noted last week that Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, by today's standards would be a billionaire many, many times over. And he threw a party. And it was the party to end all parties. In fact, it was a party that lasted six months, if you can imagine that. He called together all the important people in the kingdom to come there to the winter palace there in Shushan. And they came and they partied hardy, okay? Now, Warren Wiersbe who's a Bible commentator, since has gone to heaven, but really appreciate his insights. And he gives an insight here that I think is uh, worth noting. He said, you know, it probably wasn't that everybody, all these leaders in the kingdom were all there at once for six whole months, because that would have left the kingdom vulnerable to attack. So he suggests that they probably came in on a rotating basis, which I think makes a lot of sense, but it still would have been a very, very large group. So I want you to imagine you're the king here of Persia. And every single day for six months, you're waking up and you say, okay, what's on the agenda today? Oh yeah, party. We're having a party. And what do you do after 180 straight days of partying? You throw another party. And that's exactly what he does. Look at verse five. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel from great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. 
So after six months of partying, he brings everyone together for a final week of partying. And we noted last week that the purpose of this party was twofold. Number one, it was to show the glory and the splendor and the majesty and the greatness of his kingdom. But the second reason was, is he was seeking to gain support from all of these leaders because he wanted to invade Greece. Now, the text doesn't tell us that, but Herodias, the Greek historian, he he wrote, these were the king's words, my intent is to throw a bridge over the Hellespont. Now, the Hellespont was an ancient name of a bridge in a very narrow part that crossed over the Aegean Sea into the Sea of Marmara. And his goal was to build this bridge, he says, to march an army through Europe against Greece, that thereby I may obtain vengeance from the Athenians for the wrongs committed by them against the Persians and against my father. And history tells us that his father went into battle against the Athenians, against Greece, and lost. So Ahasuerus wanted to uh, avenge his father's loss there. So this was his goal. And Herodias claims that Ahasuerus, his goal was to invade all of Europe and reduce the whole earth into one empire. And we live in a day and age where we're watching Russia invade Ukraine and we say, things haven't changed that much, have they? It's the goal of emperors, you know, they want to reduce the world into one empire. Notice verse 9. It says, Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So the women weren't allowed to be a part of the party, the banquet that was going on with the men. The only women who were a part of that group were the women of ill repute. So while the king was selling war to the men, Queen Vashti entertained the wives and the women at another banquet. Now, the kingdom of Persia was really the epitome in that day of worldliness. It was like the picture and this is what, what anybody that came to the banquet, this was the, the, the statement, the message that, that it was sending is this is what you're striving to be. This is what you want to be when it relates to power, when it relates to wealth, when it relates to to prominence. The kingdom of Persia is what you want to be like. As I think about that, I'm reminded of how you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we are living in the midst of two worlds, that we are living in the midst of Two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world, but also the kingdom of God. You know, when Jesus came to planet Earth, he announced that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has arrived. Why has it arrived? Because the king of the kingdom was here. And his kingdom, he ushered in his, his kingdom, his mindset, if you would, here into planet Earth and, and into the mindset and the hearts of those of us who would be followers of him. 
Paul the Apostle said of us who are believers that even though we're a part of this world, that we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of another world. So we're always seeking to try and navigate and figure out how do we live in this world but live for that world? How do we live in this world but not become a part of this world? Well, this chapter gives us some insight into the agenda of the kingdom of this world and how it operates. And there's three things that I want to point out as we work our way through the chapter. So if you're taking notes, these are three things that that kind of mark the agenda of this world. Number one, the kingdom of this world wants to feed our fleshly appetites. That's what's been going on here. For six months, King Ahasuerus has been feeding their fleshly appetites. I mean, this was an extravagant party. We're talking open bar. We're talking all you can eat, all you can drink, no expenses spared. This is Coachella times a hundred. This is Woodstock times a thousand. I mean, that's what's going on here, all right? Notice verse 10. Oh, also notice that, that at this party, as I mentioned, there, there were only men invited to this party. The queen has another littler banquet going on with the women. But the women, the only women who would be invited to this party were women of ill repute. We're talking exotic dancers. We're talking prostitutes, okay? This is the picture of what's going on here in Persia. Verse 10 says, On the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine, So he's a little tipsy, in other words. So you've got thousands of men who are drunk, and the king who is drunk himself. And the Bible, you know, it tells us that Satan is the god of this world. And you know, Satan's smart. Because he doesn't appeal, when he wants to tempt you, he doesn't appeal to things that your flesh hates. He doesn't say, hey, all you can eat dog food and all you can drink sour milk. No, that's not what he advocates. That's not what he says. No, he tempts us with things that are going to appeal to our flesh. The things that our flesh loves because he wants us to overindulge in our flesh so that we become enslaved to those things. So he'll give you whatever you want as long as he gets to be your king. He'll give you whatever you want as long as you become his servant. Sex? Fine. You can have it. The king of Persia gave it, so does Satan. Overconsumption in alcohol? Absolutely. The king of Persia gave it, so does Satan. Gluttony? Sure. The king of Persia provided that so does Satan. Whatever you want, as long as he gets you on his team. That was the plan of the king of Persia, and that's the plan of Satan as well. But here's what we need to understand. Persia is lying to us. The kingdom of this world is lying to us. Consider the advertisements. You know, most of the advertisements that promote the sale of alcohol depict fashionable people who are in great shape, right? And they always show these people in beautiful settings, giving us the subtle impression that social drinking and success 
are synonymous. The advertisement industry, you know, says, hey, take, have a few drinks to take the edge off. What could be wrong with that? And according to the marketing machine behind the liquor industry, the answer is nothing at all. So Miller Beer says, hey, enjoy the high life. Corona beckons, Corona Extra beckons, find your beach. Jose Cuero Tequilas invites you to enjoy a shot of adventure. How amazing does that sound, right? A shot of adventure, wow. And Jameson Whiskey calls it the happiest hour on earth. Sign me up, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. But here's what these slick advertisements don't tell us. Alcohol abuse in this country is one of the leading causes of health problems. 55% of domestic abuse calls in our country are alcohol-related. As a pastor, I have seen marriages that have been shattered and careers that have been ruined by alcohol abuse. But they don't tell you that. No, they send you the message that life is about living for the weekend, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. But then they say, hey, who needs to wait till Friday? It's five o'clock somewhere, right? That's the mentality of this world. But it's a lie. Wouldn't you love to see an alcohol ad one day that shows some guy with his head over the toilet? Here's what happens when you consume too much alcohol. It doesn't show you that, though. Persia is lying to us. The kingdom of this world is lying to us. Here's another lie. The pornography industry tells us that pornography is a harmless expression of sexuality. Really? Research tells us that it's as addictive as drugs or alcohol, that it can change the very makeup of a person's brain, that it can make a person incapable of having normal relationships. And yet the pornography business industry in this country is a multi-billion dollar industry that is supported by sex trafficking. It destroys families, it destroys marriages, The kingdom of the world, though, it doesn't tell us that. The kingdom of this world is proclaiming this message. Live to please yourself. Do what makes you happy. Find and be your true self. And here's the result of that mindset. Divorce filings are up 34% year to year. Calls to mental health hotlines have increased, get this, 891%. The suicide rate is the highest that it has ever been since World War II. One in four people ages 18 to 24 have seriously considered taking their own life in the last 30 days. That's what happens in a society where people are living to indulge their flesh. But that's the goal of Satan. You see, the Bible tells us about Satan, calls him the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and this is his goal. John chapter 10, it's to kill, to rob, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants to lure us in and suck us in to his plan in order to destroy us. But in that same chapter, Jesus announces, but hey, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. So the first thing that we see and we learn about this is that this king and his kingdom seeks to feed our fleshly appetites. Here's the second thing that we see. The kingdom of this world wants to objectify women. Look at verse 10 again. It says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, and some of you know this by experience, you do stupid things when you get merry with wine. You can do stupid things when you are drunk, and the king's going to do something here really, really stupid. When he was merry with wine, it says he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abiktha, Zesar, and Carcass. These are seven eunuchs who served in the king's presence. These guys, some of them, they, they, they sound like rappers or hip-hop artists today, right? Biztha, you can call him Busy. Bigtha, you can call him Biggie, right? Carcass. Notice the king commanded these eunuchs, verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. Now there's some debate among scholars as to what the king was actually asking here. By calling the queen to come wearing her crown, some suggest that he was calling her into this party with her face unveiled, which would have been scandalous in a Persian culture because women were to have their face veiled when they would go out in public. So that, that would have been scandalous for her to appear not wearing her veil. Others think, though, that he was calling her to come to the party wearing only her crown, which would have been even more scandalous and degrading. And the point was the king had shown all of these guys the greatness of his kingdom, the power of his kingdom, the splendor of his kingdom, and now he wanted to show them his crown jewel, his beautiful queen. He was seeking to objectify her, and that's what the world seeks to do. The world wants to objectify women. So we see this all the time in advertising where, where pretty and often scantily clad dressed women are used to sell Everything from food to automobiles. You know, we live today in the Me Too movement. And what's interesting to me about that movement is many of the same actresses who have gone on record about the abuse that they've suffered in Hollywood, many of these same actresses still today are starring in films that objectify women and promote the sexualization of women. And get this, it's not just on the big screen. It's now coming straight into our home through all the various streaming platforms. Did you know that there are 73 million Netflix sub subscribers in the United States? There are 66 million who are subscribed to Prime Video and 240 million who are subscribers to YouTube. And all three of these platforms readily promote softcore pornography. And some of the most popular movies and TV shows in America today on these streaming sites are riddled with that kind of content. And it's coming right into our home. 
via phones, tablets, computers, and right on the television. Common Sense Media reports that American tweens spend on average more than four and a half hours per day on their screens. That teenagers are spending nine hours a day, and so it's no surprise that the average age of the first exposure to internet porn is 11 years old. The world wants to objectify women. But Jesus came to liberate women. In a world that treated women as second-class citizens, Jesus gave women a voice. You know, the first person he revealed himself as the Messiah to was a woman. John chapter 4, the woman in Samaria. And then he gave her a voice. He told her, now you go and tell all your friends, everybody you know, what, we, what I've told you. The first person that saw Jesus alive after the resurrection was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And he told her, now go tell the disciples that I am alive. Jesus took a stand for women. Sought to increase the value of women in a culture that did not value them very much at all. And Paul the Apostle would write this about the, the influence of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The world wants to objectify women. Jesus wants to liberate women. Let's get back to the story. So the king called for the queen to come and be paraded before all these men. But look at verse 12. It says, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. And therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Queen Vashti shows that she is not going to be degraded in this way. And I say good for her. But understand, it was very dangerous it was a very dangerous thing, as we shall see, for her to stand and defy the king. But I can't but help admire her response. She sacrificed all the glamour, all the wealth, all the position for the sake of her personal dignity. She would not be a sexual pawn to be shown off as a piece of property before all these drunken men. She was willing to sacrifice her crown for the sake of her character. But I ask you this question. How many women in America last night were in a bar somewhere sacrificing their character for the attention of men? For the attention of some man? And ladies, I want to just ask you this question. Especially you single ladies, you young ladies. What is your character worth? How far are you willing to go in order to win the praise and attention of someone? Are you sacrificing your character on the altar of acceptance? Listen, especially you young people, if your boyfriend wants you to undress, if he wants you to send him naked pictures of yourself, dump him, like right away. And tell your dad. And if you don't have a dad, 
tell your mom and your youth pastor. <laughs> Serious. Dump him. I don't like phones in church, but you can take your phone out right now and just dump him right now. Send him a text, tell him <laughs> we're done, all right? You know? Seriously. If he is trying to get you to engage in sexual immorality with him, dump him immediately. You're worth more than that. And you guys, you single guys, you young men, you need to understand something. You need to remember something. That that girl that you're seeking to mess around with, she is God's daughter. Let that sink into your head. You're going to have to answer to him. But that goes both ways, girls. That boy is God's son. Okay? You need to remember that. But I also want to talk to you married ladies for a minute. Because submission is not a tool that is meant to be used by men to manipulate women. In my many years of counseling, I have heard some pretty crazy stories of what some men wanted their wives to do under the banner of submission. The Bible tells you to submit. I have stories that are just, they're too sordid to tell in this setting on a Sunday morning. I don't want to get parents mad at me. But you, it would blow your mind. Things that men want their wives to do. And they love to pull out the submission card. You know what Ephesians says? Wives submit to their husbands. And they completely ignore the context. And they completely ignore what it says right before that. Before it says one word to the wife, what does it say? It says the two of you being submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's two people, husband and wife, dating person and other dating person, walking together in the fear of God, seeking to honor God. That's the context. But guys love to pull out Ephesians 5.22. You know, the Bible tells you you're supposed to submit to me, completely ignoring what it also says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The idea there in that phrase, as is fitting, is this, that which goes along with the Bible. Submit to him, respect him in, in things that go along with God's word. Things that go along with God's heart. I think Dr. Tony Evans' definition for submission is very fitting for this chapter. He says, submission is knowing when to duck so God can hit your husband. <laughs> I like that. Ladies, listen. Submission does not include submitting to things that are degrading, humiliating, or endangering. If your husband is asking you to disobey the Lord, listen, listen, ladies, your husband is not the highest authority. This is the good news of Christianity. Above the king is the king of kings, and above your husband is the Lord of lords. You need to realize that. So ladies, if your husband asks you to lie, to steal, to cover for him, to participate with him in some sin or evil or injustice or crime? The answer is always no. 
If your husband wants you to watch pornography with him, the answer is no. If your husband wants you to engage in weird things sexually with him, the answer is no. If your husband wants you to do something that you are not comfortable with, the answer is no. If your husband wants you to sin against your conscience, the answer is no. It's always no. You are living your life under a higher authority. So back to our story. So Queen Vashti says, no. Now picture the scene. The king says to his guests, hey, all right, guys, listen, I know we've had just a wonderful time all these months of party and these last seven days, but, but I've saved the best for last. I'm bringing out my queen, and I'm going to show her to you. And can you see all these drunken guys going, yeah, bring out the queen. And then one of the eunuchs comes up and whispers in the king's ear, she won't come. Imagine that. Imagine how embarrassed the king would be. Verse 12 tells us that he was angry and furious and his pride was wounded. I mean, he had spent six months whining and dining these guys and flexing his muscles. And on the last night, this woman, his queen, is going to make him look like a wimp in front of everyone. And can you imagine the whispers? How can he control an army? He can't even control his woman. I mean, that's what they're thinking, right? That's what's going on here. Notice verse 13. Then the, then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, that those closest to him, being Karshina and Shethnar and Admatha and Tarshish and Mirs and Marcina and Memukin, the seven princes of Persia and Medea, who had access to the king's presence and, and who ranked the highest in the kingdom. So in other words, these are all his top advisors. And he's bringing them together to ask this question. Look at verse 15. What shall we do with Queen Vashti? According to the law, because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. And Mamukin answered the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all the women, can't have that, so that they will despise their husbands in, the, in their eyes. And when they report, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but the, she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Medea will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. Mamukin says, in effect, we've got a crisis on our hands. This problem isn't just your problem. It's now the problem of all of us. Because he's thinking, if this gets out to the rest of the women in Persia, none of them are going to listen to their husbands. I mean, we're talking women's lib, women's equality, all of that is going to be happening in a big time way, and we just can't have that. And can you imagine one of these other guys just speaking up and saying, you know, yeah, he's right, my wife, I mean, she's stubborn already. I mean, if she hears this, she's just going to go off the handle, right? That's what they're thinking. Things are going to get out of hand. 
which leads to Mamukin's ultimate solution. Look at verse 19. He says, if it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all of his empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both small and great. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mamukin. And then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Amukin says, look, you need to put these women in their place. And this is the third thing that we see that the kingdom of this world seeks to do, and that's this. It wants to control people. And in this case, it's the women. It wants to control them. Tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the agenda of socialism. And it's really the same. It's to put people in their place. You know, socialism and totalitarianism sounds good on paper. It sounds good in theory, but the problem is this. People are sinners. And when sinful people are running things, they ruin things. And it doesn't matter who is in power, whether they assume the throne or they're elected into office, when fallen, faulty, flawed sinners are in charge, you never, ever get a glorious kingdom. You get a flawed kingdom, like this one, that wants to feed your flesh that wants to objectify women, that wants to control everyone. And as I said before, that's the goal of Satan. That's what he's seeking to do. He wants to control us. He wants to get us in his grip. He wants to beat people down, and he will offer them the world to lure them in. But then they find out that he's a tyrant. And this is why. When we take the time to stop and consider our society and what's going on in our society, there's a lot of people today who are kind of indifferent. They're just kind of, whatever will be, will be. And it's kind of like the, the frog that gets put in the kettle and it solely cooks to death. That's what's happening in our world. It's where we're being slowly duped into thinking that, you know, these are some great ideas and we stand on the sidelines. But when we stop doing that and we stop and look and we reflect on, hey, where in the world is this going? Where are we headed? It leaves us longing and thinking that there has to be a better kingdom and there has to be a better king. And my friends, I've got great news for you. There is. And his name is Jesus. King Jesus. And one day he's going to come back. He's going to make things right. But in the meantime, he wants us to be living in this kingdom in light of his kingdom. 
He wants us to see what's really, really important. He wants us to understand the king that we have and his heart for those who are around us. So I want to end today before we move to communion and and then we're going to have some people getting baptized. Last last service, we had a lady get baptized. She was 90 years old. It was the most precious thing. It was amazing. But I want to close today by giving a contrast in kings. The contrast, this king of Persia, Ahasuerus, with King Jesus. So here we go. King Ahasuerus sat on his throne feeding sin, but Jesus got off his throne so that our sins could be forgiven. Isn't that great? Jesus was on the throne in heaven, but he stepped off of that throne and came down to this earth so that he could go to the cross and pay the price for our sins. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and the soul that sins will surely die. And that was the punishment of death and Jesus of sin. And Jesus came and took our place on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that when we put our faith and trust in him, our sins can be forgiven and our guilt can be removed. King Ahasuerus appealed to our depraved nature. King Jesus gives us a new nature. The Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, that you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. King Ahasuerus' words are no longer read and obeyed, but King Jesus' words will be forever read and obeyed because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. King Ahasuerus gave people what they wanted, but King Jesus gives people what they need, salvation and freedom from bondage. King Ahasuerus banished his people from his presence. King Jesus never banishes his people from his presence. Those who know him and are his children. King Ahasuerus wanted to parade his wife degradingly before all these people. King Jesus is going to come back one day at the end of time, at his second coming, and he is going to parade his bride, the church, us, spotless pure and glorious before the world. Yeah, you can clap about that. (laughs) King Ahasuerus no longer sits on a throne, but King Jesus sits high and exalted because he's risen from the dead, ascended into glory, and forever upon the throne. King Ahasuerus died and his people died. King Jesus rose and his people will rise to be with him forever. And finally, King Ahasuerus' kingdom has come to an end, but King Jesus' kingdom never comes to an end. The question is, who's your king? See, we all have a king. You might be your king, but, but listen, here's the thing. Jesus said this, you're either for me or you're against me. In other words, when it comes to Jesus, there's no neutral ground. Can't be like, well, Jesus is cool, but you know, I'm not, I'm not his follower. No, no, no. You're either for him or, or, or you're against him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you haven't opened up your heart to him, I want to encourage you today, right now, as we close this time together, that you would open up your heart to him, that you would make Jesus your king because he's the only king worth following. Amen?
Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're the King that has our best interests at heart. You're the King who sacrificed your life to give us life. And Lord, as we enter into this time right now where we remember your death, we remember your sacrifice, Lord, I pray that it would be a time for us of renewing in our hearts the reality that we want you to be our king. If any of us are on the throne of our lives, Lord, we want to step off right now and declare you to be the king. 